What is up, fellow thermonuclear AFers? I am Dan Favalli coming at you with my fantabulistic co-host, Grant Hughes. We are here with the first, our first joint regular season pod. I did a takeaways, early takeaways for every team pod to close out last week. Um, and my head hurt after it because I'm already reconsidering everything that I said on that podcast. Before we get started, please remember to subscribe and consume every single episode wherever you listen to us or watch us. If that's on your podcast player, Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, whatever, please, if this is your first time, subscribe, rate, review if they let you to. Those help us out a ton as well. Also on YouTube, help us continue building up the YouTube channel. Uh, we did cross 2K subscribers just before the start of the season. So that was nice. Help us keep growing that. We're on YouTube. It's at Hardwood Knox since they let you have uh, usernames now. Subscribe, like, comment on every video to help the algorithm. Maybe, possibly, if we're lucky, love us back. Follow us on all the socials. And as we get into like trying to cover the entire league as all these games are going on, um, join our Discord so that you can talk and interact with people in there. The links to that are in the podcast and YouTube description. You also get priority when it comes to me or us answering your mailbag questions. And so if you want to ensure that we're talking about something with your favorite team or player that you have a question about, join Discord, interact, and also throw your questions in that mailbag thing. I normally do solicit it every week. We've yet to do our regular season debut mailbag. That'll be up at, at some point. Um, so do all those things. That helps us out a ton. But mostly subscribe and download or slash on YouTube, just comment like every single episode that, every single video that that we put up. With all the housekeeping notes out of the way, Grant... How the hell are you doing? Uh, I'm I'm doing well. I'm happy to be here, uh, but I uh, will admit to being overwhelmed uh, this early in the year because, like you said, uh, you can form opinions this early, and then the next day you feel like you have to reevaluate every single one of them uh, and maybe completely pivot on half of them. So uh, it's early. I feel like we should just say that now so that we don't have to say it with every opinion we offer for the rest of the way. But uh, happy, happy to have like a full slate of games and, and just be back into the season so we can dig in a little bit. Yeah, which is why we call this truth or trash. And it's way cooler than fact or fiction uh, and way different. The concept is just it's, it's life changing. That's how different it is. It's so unique and anomalous where we just we go back and forth on things that we've either observed or maybe we've seen other people observing. And we want to know whether it's you know, sustainable or not, basically, but it's truth or it's trash because like that is we care about alliteration a little bit. And like I said, it's just so creative and innovative. No one has ever thought of this type of a podcast. And lo and behold, two people um, who are who are podcasting about it and they're not credentialed media members on a regular basis. Um, So we probably shouldn't even be allowed to have a say on this, but we do anyway. Uh, I don't know what category we fall into, because if we wanted credentials, our company would probably love us to have them and take that initiative. So sure. that's actually, that's actually, I don't know what kind of umbrella we fall into it, but we suck because we're not credentialed for every single game. Um, so, but we have takes anyway. Mm-hmm. Did you want to start us off? Yeah, let's do the big one first. Um, I know you have something similar, just phrased a little differently, but I think we, you know, we have to hit the big thing. So truth or trash, and you can, go a little bit further afield with this if you want, but my specific one is the Lakers should do the indie trade. And I'm referring to the one that has been reported as uh, having been discussed and maybe gotten close or just has been out there floating around basically Russell Westbrook four miles Turner and buddy healed with a couple, I think Indy wants both 
the 27 and 29 unprotected first rounders coming with Russ to do that. Uh, that seems like the one that had the most legs a couple months ago and continues to be the one where if you're looking for what do the Lakers do, if they should do something uh, that comes up the most often. So the Lakers are 0 three, obviously they've looked terrible. They can't shoot. Uh, Westbrook has been abysmal. So that's where we are. Is that a truth or a trash for you? I wrote about how it was a truth after they lost to what was their second loss of the season. They lost to the Dub. Oh, then the Clippers. And then I watched. So I said that was a truth. They need to make that trade. Basically, I wrote about it. So this is like days. Then I'm watching the Blazers game where they just completely implode while they have this lead. I'm calling it a trash now because they suck so much. They are so hopeless that I kind of get, you know what? We can't give up those picks because they might be too valuable. And it's just time to, you know, I think Rob Plinka should have been fired for not addressing this over the off season more like putting this supporting cast around LeBron where your third best player on this team is who Lonnie Walker, the third Austin Reeves. Like you need to run Matt Ryan, like off the screens to try and get an open three or someone who can knock down threes. And the Patrick Beverly, like, okay, that, that trade was fine. That was probably their best move of the offseason. That is franchise malpractice, letting it happen after watching what unfolded last season. But now you're just so far gone because you did nothing over the offseason. Your overall free agency happenings are underwhelming. Uh, what are you like? That, what is that trade making you? I understand the urgency to maximize what's left of LeBron's window, but you're probably better off just going into this summer with some semblance of cap space, hoping he's still kind of sort of good next season he's borderline still on offense like can still be amazing uh and then hope that ad holds up and maybe you can add players through that avenue to flesh out the rotation and then that's when you look at trading your picks in the middle of next season i just i was a big proponent of you need to compensate a team to take on russ's contract not because yes it's expiring but it's so huge that they're not rerouting it they're probably paying him to go away because he's certainly not playing so that's going to take a pick and then the players you're getting back, if they're a value, Miles Turner to me is worth a first round pick. The Lakers are in a situation where they can't really protect those picks because they just immediately expire since they only have 27 and 29. Maybe they can get it done. If it was one first round pick in 2027, I don't think the Pacers should do it. I want to be clear. Maybe I'd consider it then. If it's a pick and a swap, like maybe we get into that. I just don't think that I, and I want to make this clear. It's not a miles Turner, buddy healed thing. I don't think there's a feasible trade out there in which the Lakers are just appreciably better enough to justify giving up that hall anymore. And so it's a trash for me. Yeah. I, I think it's trash too. And, and, and it's one of those things you can go back and forth on because you're the concerns you're weighing are on the one hand, the, the one we've been talking about for what, two or three years now, really two, I guess. Like, are you going to waste uh, one of however many of LeBron James very good, you know, peak is probably too strong now, but, you know, he's still an all-star, potentially all-NBA level player. Are you going to waste a season of that? Because that, that's that's what you're what you're doing if you if you stand pat, essentially. Because this team, the shooting isn't good enough. The secondary creation is not good enough. The front court rotation is not good enough. And then there's the issues of, is Anthony Davis going to get hurt? Is LeBron going to need rest? at this age, is he going to decline if he has to play a major role? It's a ton of minutes, all that stuff. The season you're, you're wasting this season. Cause as it is the Lakers ceiling, I think with this roster is, is the like ninth or 10th spot in the West. And that's just, there's really not any point on the other hand, 
if you make this trade, and, and look, I think like in theory, Buddy Heald is is absolutely a type of the type of player that this Lakers team needs. He's a great shooter. Like he's of this generation. He is, you know, you have Steph Curry, you have Clay Thompson, you have a handful of other guys, Dame. But Heald is like, you know, I've I'm I've crunched the numbers a million times in different articles and stuff. And he grades out as just like during his career, he's one of the most accurate high volume three-point shooters in the league, which which means he's one of the most accurate high volume three-point shooters ever because there weren't high volume three-point shooters, you know, 15 years ago. So there's a big, you know, let's let's plug this hole with a shooter. We have no shooting. Buddy Hill's a great shooter. Turner makes sense too. It's kind of the, those are the types of guys you should add to this team and they still don't make it good enough. I don't think you're just, you still have depth issues. Healed will be a target defensively. If you play against good teams in the playoffs, which theoretically that's what this trade would allow you to do. If everything broke, right. Uh, Turner and, and AD, I think is a questionable fit. And then obviously you're out, you're only two future assets that you have the 27 and 29 picks. So <laughs> I just, if the best trade you can possibly make doesn't make you good enough, then it's just, first of all, that's so bleak. That's such a bleak outlook. Um, but I agree. I think it's trash. I, I don't think they should do it. And what, what I'm really saying, what we're both saying then is that this season's already over for them because, because to not do that trade is a signal of total resignation because you know, for a fact, this team isn't good enough to do anything. And it's three games, but it's not like the things that have gone wrong were unexpected. They were one and five in the preseason and couldn't shoot. They're zero and three now. They can't shoot. Defensively, they've actually been pretty good. Um, but they, the league, they might have the league's best defense. Actually, it's top the three, I think, per cleaning the glass. If uh, when I looked last night. Oh, it's th- all right. It's top four. The league's top best four. defense is in Milwaukee, which is not surprising right now. Okay, yeah. small sample, but yeah, they're it, so so. You can't do it. You can't do this trade. It like it just doesn't make you. It doesn't improve you enough. And so now it's like, sorry, but you got 79 more games. We're recording this Monday morning uh, that don't matter. Basically it's LeBron chasing the scoring, the scoring crown. That's really what this season is now. Um, Cause I don't think you can do this trade. If it something arises and I can't even think of players that would be involved where you're not giving up a pick, but it's adding you a ton of long-term money to your books. Like, let's say there are contracts, like a team has contracts and wants to get rid of, and I mean, let's use Charlotte as the example, which is they've been frisky, which was right. surprising. Um, kudos to Steve Clifford uh, and the players, too. Obviously, I don't mean to discredit. Them. I'm not trying to, dis- but they don't have Lamelo, and I just didn't expect them to be two and one right. after three games. Nick Richards, look out. Uh, I, that was the whole thing is they were like, oh, he's the, I, for, the OK, the Hornets. I actually have one on them for later. Okay. But let's just say the Hornets are looking to tank. And they want to, Hayward's probably playing too well for this anyway. But the, the situation would be, oh, you have guys like Rozier and Hayward who are just probably too useful. This exercise is futile. I can't even name it. But it would be like, if the Knicks still wanted to get rid of Randall and Fournier, would you just do the Russell Westbrook trade without having to give up a pick, saddling yourself with long-term money? Or would you prefer the, we just need to eat this season. Maybe we tell Russ to go away at some point, or we have him not play and hope it's addition by subtraction, even though like you're still just, you know, it, the, Russ is not the primary problem in LA. The, first of all, the primary problem is upstairs, right? For the assembly of this roster. Uh, but like, so would you be more likely to just no? We need to schlep through this season, or if you can get a deal where you're not giving up any first round picks or swaps, but you are taking on money that obliterates your cap space, and those players 
aren't necessarily going to be too easy. They'll be easier because they're cheaper than Russ, but like they're not going to be necessarily trade assets on their own. And I don't mean to use Julius Randle as an example because I actually have one on him. He's been pretty, pretty good for the first couple games of the season. But like if that scenario or something similar arises, and the fact that I can't think of one probably just is moot because it means that it doesn't exist. But would you go that route or would it be no? You know what? Fuck it. The season's over already. Let, let's move on. Yeah, I'd need a, I'd, and I agree, it's hard to come up with one. I'd need a concrete like uh, option of you. We could get this guy, and it's going to cost us X over the next Y years. Um, I just generally, though, I think I'm more inclined to take on long term money because you you're on the hook for long term money for LeBron and Davis as it is, um, relatively long term money. Um, so it's easier to justify adding to that if you assume that you're just not going to be in the market for whatever the biggest name free agents are this summer, um, which is debatable. I, I just, it's too early to really have for me to have a feel for that. Um, I'd rather take on the money and, and know I still have those picks as just like a parachute eventually. Um, and if, and I do think by the way, that even if the bigger problems are managerial and just the overall decision-making, I think Westbrook being off the team would be addition by subtraction just because it's, it's clearly a distraction. Like we don't talk about anything other than him after these three losses. I mean, some of it's because conspicuously he was a big issue, especially in this Portland loss. Uh, so like just to not have to deal with that, I think is, has some value. And then to just, I don't know if the problem with your team is you don't have enough shooting and you don't have enough guys that kind of do the little things to supplement stars and you take Westbrook out of that equation, I think the problem gets less severe. So I, I just, if you could swap any expensive player for Westbrook, I would probably do that. If I got what, to keep the picks. The one that came to me and Dallas only does this because they think that uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. is never going to make a three pointer again, but like Tim Hardaway Jr. And Davis Bertans, who's yet to play this season. I think he's dealing with a right knee injury. Like that might be the framework of, and they're like, okay, we don't, we're not going to play Russ. We're not going to keep Russ. But now we've just gotten this money off the books because Tim Hardaway Jr. has two years left on his deal after this one. And then Davis Bertans also has two years left on his deal Oh, after this one. And like they're looking at it as uh, like that type of a consolidation, like, oh, we're just going to be more flexible. That is the type of trade I'm talking about. I'm doing that if I'm the Lakers and I'm not doing it if I'm the Mavs. <laughs> I'm just... not doing it if I'm either to be honest. Well, actually if I'm the Mavs, Tim Hardaway Jr. is weirdly important to what they need to do. So I, I might consider it if I'm them, but I romanticize sometimes. And I talk about how people romanticize cap space too much. I romanticize flexibility too much. Sometimes I'm not doing it if I'm the Lakers. It's just this season feels too far gone. Are you yeah. ready to, to, oh, I will say, I know LeBron wants like he came out and he was like, Oh, I know you're trying to get me to say something about Russ, but I'm I'm not gonna say something about Russ. Yeah. Change your body language then on the court. Both him and like Russ was pissed when like he it was towards the end of that Blazers game where it's like he just had to dump the ball off to Anthony Davis, I guess, rather than getting a screen from him. And then LeBron was pissed that Russ took that jumper. Yeah. Improve your body language on the court then if you don't want people to ask about it. Like pretend, pretend a little bit better. It's a team, I think, that other than again, defensively pretty solid. Um, but it's a team that I think understands like all the principles understand, like this isn't going to work, you know, and we can try, we can say the right things, but like you're saying the body language is telling. And I just think the whole vibe is so it, it's, it's resignation. They know, I think they have to know that this does not have a good ending. 
I, li- I like that. The vibe is resignation. That's the perfect <laughs> way to put it. I believe it's my turn, so let's move on to this truth or trash. Truth or trash, the floor for the Cleveland Cavaliers in the Eastern Conference is fourth. All right. I I love Cleveland. I think Donovan Mitchell has played really well, generally speaking, uh, these first three games. I think the fit's pretty good. I still got to go trash because that's such a high floor. Um, and saying that, I acknowledge that Brooklyn's shaky. The Sixers are like beyond shaky. And those are a couple teams, certainly the Sixers we would have put into the top four of the Nets were just like a giant wild card. Um, but I, Boston, I think, looks as good as anyone could have expected. I think Milwaukee is the best team in the East. So now you got two other teams in Miami, Toronto. I, I just can't say that the Cavs are definitely better. And Dar- it's a minor injury, relatively speaking. It's not like a knee or anything, but Darius Garland's already out with that eye laceration, which sounds terrible. Um, so I can't quite go fourth. I do feel pretty good about, I think we said this in the preseason talk, we did sixth. I don't think they can finish below sixth, but that, that's that's too high of a floor for me. I'm going to go truth because... Because you're kind of for some of the reasons you outlaid. Yeah. Also, we need to make good podcasting here. here, Uh, (laughs) The the fact that Darius Garland's out and they have like a, you know, through three games, they have like a top three offense or whatever it is at this point. Like that's huge. And they top five offense, excuse me. And I know he looked sort of out of sorts before he went going back and watching um, before he got injured. He's going to be fine. He's like one of the 10 best players under 25. At this point, not nodding towards something that might be publishing on Tuesday that I just wrote about or anything like that. Uh, and then there, like, yeah, there are some concerns that I have, but just how Mitchell has opened up so many different things. You can't, I can't bring myself to care that, you know, some of the, like, we haven't seen a lot of it, but it was that lineup that rolled out. It was early on, I think, because Garland was playing where Mobley was your, your center with Dean Wade on the floor and it didn't look that great. Like, there are still some questions I have with this team. But I'm just like the way Donovan Mitchell has been playing. Um, he just gives them such an offensive element, even during like that stretch where he wasn't really knocking down his threes at first, which is stopped. He opens up so much just by being able to put more pressure going downhill against set defenses. The fact that he doesn't need to dominate the ball and the way that this team can play and some of the lineup packages they can roll out, even when they're not at full strength, they don't have Rubio. They don't have um, Darius Garland right now and then you can sort of spread the offense around by committee yeah maybe you wanted to see evan mobley be a little bit more aggressive have some higher usage on the offensive end i think him figuring out his role will come with time jared allen again just looks like he is just fine like you just add again garland's not there but like you just add donovan mitchell and jared allen's just fucking awesome still yeah. kevin love is kind of playing like he listened to the podcast in which i didn't have him on my top five in the six man of the year discussion so like there's just so many options for this team. And look, the three, you want to get in the small forward rotation and Isaac Okoro just being an absolutely like offensive detriment. It's a concern, but like Boston and Milwaukee are the teams that I'm prepared right now. I had Philly there. And then I was just like, Oh, look at the teams they lost to in their first two games. And then after their third loss, which comes against the Spurs, you have doc Rivers saying, Oh, like we're just not ready, which is Brian Toporek, who we both work with tweet this like that's slightly concerning giving his fucking job description right so i just don't trust philly there but i'm willing to say okay well philly or like miami might pop or toronto and atlanta sort of hovering around there i'm going with their floor is fourth because this is just very much a team that i think the the secret ingredient to being in that discussion is they can finish in the top 10 of efficiency on both sides of the ball 
and they absolutely can. And there might be some more growing pains once Darius Garland comes back, and I think there's probably more wrinkles thrown into their offensive hierarchy. This roster just makes, outside of like what's happening at the three, even with the way that Karis LeVert has played on offense at spurts, where I wasn't crazy about them naming him as their starter. Like If you're looking at it meritocratically, and it's, well, you just want your best player on the floor, yeah, he's probably their fifth best player overall. I don't know that I love the fit long term, especially if Rubio's out and then I know he can stagger, but like that makes the bench kind of weird where your best creator coming off the bench in that moment is Howell Neto, Neto, which is just like, that's a weird thing to say. Yeah. I can't bring myself to care. They're so good already and they just haven't even coalesced into what they're actually going to be to me. Like, can we just get, we need a fake trade. Because the Okoro thing is, a, I really wanted Okoro to be like serviceable this year. And there were signs that he was maybe going to be because he shot 35% on low volume from three last year. And like, if that's all you do is hit those shots at that rate, shoot three or four more a game and cut and defend, you're fine. And he just hasn't done any of that. He hasn't made a three yet this year. Um, like, let's let's get get. Hey, Clippers. Give us like one of your guys that you're just <laughs> not going to play. That's going to be the 12th guy on your, in your rotation. Like we'll take Amir coffee. Like what was it going to like, is like he would, he should start <laughs> for the Cavs. Like anybody call Toronto, just give us one of your six, eight guys. And we'll call it like, there has to be a grant. Granted, there's like two teams that have hoarded all of those guys, but the Cavs have got to get better at that spot. Cause then, then you're cause like quietly, as good as Mobley and Allen are as like backline guys and Mobley can move and Allen can too. But where's like, you're going to see Jason Tatum, you know, you're and Jalen Brown, like Garland and Mitchell are just not going to hack it with, with big wings. Um, that's a problem for down the road, but, but man, there's just like, what other, what other starting lineup has a bigger glaring hole? That's like, especially compared to how good the other four spots are. It's tough. I will say the trade that maybe it's not staring people right in the face, but I don't know how I feel like some Cavs fans might rebuke this immediately because you do tend to be attached to like your own youngsters. Yeah. It's a Coro plus X. I don't know if it's Dylan Windler, just small, like just let's get Josh Richardson in Cleveland. Like that is yeah. the, the Spurs are tanking. Let's get him. Like the Clippers are trying to do something and the way their injury maintenance goes, you know, Mamir coffee might matter. I mean, yes, they've definitely hoarded wings. Uh, I, but like do something like that. Um, I don't think they need to though, for me to continue. I'm not bank caking in the fact that they might trade for somebody. Yeah. I just think that this team is so good from what they've seen. And I look at them and I'm like, you know, like they haven't even reached peak calves yet. And it's not, it's not just because Darius Garland is dealing with that eyelid laceration, which by the way, it sounds ridiculously painful. I know it was viewed as just not that serious, but when you say laceration on eyelid, yeah. I'm just like, I'm there's out. like a shiver being sent down my spine. Yeah. No, thank you. Uh, let's see. I'm going to take, okay. I'm going to do one more of mine and then we're just going to run through yours. Basically. Um, truth or trash. Doc rivers will be the first coach to be fired this year. I don't know what the odds are when I scanned it. He's like not even anywhere close to the top. Oh, um, he is now. They sent out an email. Okay, today. Cool. I'm on, I'm on that email list that he's now the heavy favorite to be the first head coach fired. Okay. So this is like not a hot take then. Cause when I was looking at it, you know, you had Nash up there for some reason, Dwayne Casey had like really good betting odds a couple, a little while ago. Um, truth or trash doc will be out before any other head coach this year. I'll say truth. I just, what are the alternatives at this point? I guess Steve Nash and Brooklyn would be a good one. And there, look, they can go from hunky dory to existential crisis quicker than any team in the league. I don't, I don't doubt that at all, yeah. but 
it has to be him at this point because they're Philly is probably like four games away from making that decision. If they go like two and two and they just start two and six or two, what would it be? Two and five at that point? Like, are they, I don't know. I'll say, I'll say truth, which is, it's weird because like you finally got a good Joel Embiid individual performance in your third game. James Harden doesn't have a great third game, but like he's looked a lot better. Uh, the the usage of Tyrese Maxey, with the exception of what I saw in game number three, has been criminal. Like it's just so low. Um, I do. I'm just like, who else is it going to be? It's not even even if you think that Doc deserves more more rope, and I just I don't know that he does. Like the the offense seems very. I know we tend to devolve into this when James Harden's on your team, but it does seem for having Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey with James Harden, it feels very uninventive when you're watching mm-hmm. it. And is that a byproduct of, well, we don't think James Harden can play another way. I would push back against that. I think that he can. I think he showed that he was capable of adapting when Chris Paul went to Houston, even when Russell Westbrook was there a little bit, not to where he's like a super low usage player, but it feels like almost too James Harden centric. It's like, we shouldn't still be mentioning him in the same breath as Luka Doncic to me when you're looking at the reliance they have on him. Is that on doc? Is that on the makeup of the roster? But I don't know where you land on it. My biggest thing though is, if it's not Doc, then who is it? Yeah, I think the key is is you got to look around for like where else are there really high expectations that that sort of give like a make or break feel, like teams that have sort of pushed most of the other buttons they can push to get better, and with that have created. So like Nate McMillan would be like a, a like maybe if, but Atlanta looks okay so far, and it's really early. Murray Michael Malone, like if Denver, you know, they, they after that first night, everyone's like, whoa, whoa, yeah, after the loss right. of the Jazz, and they've, they've rebounded since. But if they, like, continue to – but even they have more built-in excuses of Atlanta's trying to integrate another fringe star. Right. And then Denver's trying to, like, integrate two guys coming off major injuries in addition to a couple other new additions that – not super high-end, but Bruce Brown, KCP, like, those dudes matter. Yeah. Well, and I think, too – the Jokic Malone relationship is that too, very yeah. strong. And I think like if it came down to it, Jokic could just say, no, <laughs> actually he is still a coach. And, and that's the end of that conversation for me. For me, it's truth. Also I tap dancing around it. I just think like, what else do the Sixers do? You know, what other, it, it's just so much of what goes into a coach getting fired, obviously is like, Oh, the locker rooms tuned him out or like strategically things aren't working rotation wise, things aren't working hypothetically this coach has a dog shit playoff record that he just like gives away series and games and doesn't make adjustments. Like we came into this season, I think with one of the big questions about the Sixers being like, are we sure doc is the guy that's going to take this team to the title that it clearly is like lining itself up to chase. And I, I mean, we're not even in the area of the season where rivers has had so many struggles. Like this is, this isn't May, this is October. Uh, so I think, I just think there's nothing else the Sixers can really do to meaningfully shake things up. And so if it does come to it, I don't know what the record needs to be that two and five mark, man, if they pulled the trigger that early, that'd be crazy. But if they get through like 20 games and they're like seven and 13, I mean, that's probably enough. Right. I, I just, and then, you know, Mike D'Antoni's out there. So let's, should we just, just move right back into, to, to like the full rockets uh, do over. So, yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's probably truth. Um, just cause like you said, the candidates elsewhere, like no, nowhere else seems as like 
quite on edge after a rough start like the Sixers do. I'm going to interrupt this to bring us back to the Lakers because Sham Shrania published his inside pass where there's basically no new information other than the Lakers are also interested in trade packages built around Josh Richardson in San Antonio and uh, Terry Rozier, a name that I mentioned in Charlotte before. Are you, does that change your, if like with the Spurs, if you're getting Jakob Pertle and Josh Richardson as part of a rust deal, maybe you think you're getting Doug McDermott and Josh Richardson. I'm not giving up two firsts in either. I don't think Jakob Pertle is really good, but I don't know if he would close games next to 80 miles. Turner stretches the floor a little bit. He's not a free throw liability like Jakob Pertle is. So would do any of those scenarios? And I'm assuming it's Terry Rozier plus who is it? Gordon Hayward in that scenario. And i like, is, does any of that, I'm only mentioning this just so that we're our Lakers conversation isn't like obliterated by like yeah. quote unquote, this breaking news. Yeah, I don't know how much that changes it for me um, because let's say I really like if you're talking about the, the the one that would move the needle for the Lakers in the playoffs, assuming that's the goal still and is realistic, like Rozier and Hayward make more sense to me than, say, Turner and Heald or Richardson and Pirtle. Just because, like you said, Pirtle, I think you're going to run into a lot of issues trying to play him against good teams in crunch time. So I guess ultimately it doesn't change my opinion on whether they should do the trade or not. Now, if you're, if you're giving up one first for either of those packages, maybe, um, but certainly not both. Like, I don't think, I don't think you can justify trading both. I think you're, you're the same arguments apply as the, as the indie scenario to me. If, if, if it's gotta be two firsts, I just can't get there. Yeah. And it's, Gordon Hayward makes so much sense for yeah. this team too, though. I just don't, I can't talk myself into giving up two, even though Rozier and Hayward together would become their like third and fourth best players immediately. Like it wouldn't even be close. No, no doubt. No doubt. Uh, next one on the truth or trash. Let's go to, okay, this one let's, I'm going to, well, we don't, I don't know if we're going to get back to the, I'm spoiling everything here. So I have, this is a two tier one truth or trash. The New Orleans Pel- the New Orleans Pelicans are more likely to win an NBA title this year than the Miami Heat. Oh, why would you give me that one? That's uh, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say trash, and I don't want to I don't want to like knock down any of the enthusiasm with the Pelicans, even though like of course Zion Williamson goes down. Seems like NBA it's okay. too in the loss to the Jazz, and it's like oh yeah. right. Ingram, Ingram and Zion both out in the same game. Um, Ingram with concussion symptoms, I want to say. Um, he tried to come back and then it didn't it didn't feel right and then went to the locker room. Zion with a gnarly fall on a, a really clean block by Jordan Clarkson, of all people, chasing him down to block a dunk. What um, is going on in Utah? <laughs> that's like a mad lib. Like Jordan Clarkson chased down Zion Williamson to block a dunk. Like that's too absurd to be purposeful. Um, I think the Heat have looked i've caught them a handful of times already this year um the results haven't been great but i think the heat look i, I had the feeling of oh i kind of underrated the heat when we were talking about the best teams in the east um i think hero is going to be okay in in the starting lineup i was concerned about that but i think you can get away with it i think every time i watch gabe vincent he's hitting big threes and taking charges i don't know if it's one of those things where i catch him on the good nights but gabe vincent looks really good um and obviously Butler still looks great. Out of bio is good. The Pelicans, as we're seeing right now, have injury concerns, haven't done it yet. I mean, the Heat could have been in the finals last year. It was, they were like a, a shot away. So I, I, I can't quite get there with the Pels, even though 
I feel like the Pels are zero question a playoff team if they have decent injury luck and maybe like a top six. Truth or trash, the New Orleans the New Orleans Pelicans are more likely to win an NBA title than the Philadelphia 76ers this year. <laughs> I have to go trash too, because if I say that after three games, I just I couldn't live with myself. They look a lot better right now, but I can't get there. It's there's so much season left. I'm gonna go I don't know what I, I would I only had the Sixers one in case you said truth on yeah. the Heat one, because it's truth for me on the Heat one. I'm just there with the Pelicans. I think not the only argument. But if you're, if it's okay, well, let's see Zion make it to the end of the season and this team be fully intact. I kind of get it, but they're so deep and they're built to play just so many different ways. And the defense feels just so fundamentally sound where they sort of laid this blueprint for what they were going to do last year. And a lot of it feels like it is just stuck. And they're a team that has still been um, pretty good, you know, uh, at defending in or just absolutely eliminating transition opportunities off of uh, live rebounds. And that's big. The fact that they are such a good rebounding team, they are built to end possessions and they're, I can't remember who said this, but what podcast I was listening to said that new Orleans best offense is missing a shot so that they can get the <laughs> offensive rebound. So shout out to whoever had said that um, there. It's just like, and when CJ and BI and Zion look like they're just like already, there's an alchemy there. And Zion, I don't even know if he's all the way back yet, but then he has one of those games where he takes like 28 shots in the restricted area anyway. They're just such a force, and they're deeper than both of the teams I just mentioned. And yeah, the West is kind of tough, but New Orleans feels like their product might come together into its new normal or like sustain a fever pitch quicker than what's happening in a Minnesota or quicker than maybe even what's happening in Denver as they're trying to figure things out. I wouldn't put them, the Denver Nuggets were my title pick. So let's, you know, pump the brakes there. And I remain unconcerned about that one loss to the Jazz so far. I'm just, I'm there on New Orleans. And we were both high coming into the season. My prediction was that they would win 50 games. And I'm just wondering if I wasn't high enough on them. And again, the health questions need to be thrown in there. But Trey Murphy, by and large, looks fantastic. Uh, he's hit like actual difficult threes where he's yeah. been moving on them. And he's like, he's, done some real. Stuff. he's a real movement shooter that like will bend the defense. I th- I think I'm, I, th- I think he's like a difference maker this year. Uh, Herbert Jones currently leads the league in plus minus because he's just fucking annihilatory. Yeah. And th- again, it's just so deep having the Larry Nance jr. Option just sort of sitting there. Uh, and I, so I, I can't get over. Yeah. If you want to say, well, do they have enough complimentary shooting is relying on Trey Murphy, you know, does, is that like just too much there? Um, I haven't even been, I was kind of curious. It's like what the Jonas Valanciunas fit would look like in the front court with Zion. It's just, it's fine. Yeah. I don't expect him to shoot 40% on threes on like two attempts per game, but that's like also not ridiculous given the stretch he's provided before. And it's not as if they've juiced up his volume. Do you trust Jose Alvarado to continue hitting his threes? Maybe not, but you know, Fred Vincent also sort of exists here and Lo and behold, like they're not even playing like Devontae Graham hasn't logged a ton of minutes and he hasn't looked great. It's not like they're relying on Dyson Daniels yet. There's nothing when you look at New Orleans right now that screams outlier. I'm going to tell you what I actually think is the biggest difference here is well, not the biggest difference. But the thing that tells me the most is it's not the idea of a healthy Zion. It's this idea and what we've seen in practice that Brandon Ingram is just this star level player who can toggle between 80 different existences on offense. Like you need him to go hit tough shots over KD fine, but you need him to cut or go back door. I'm like yeah. a defender who's ball watching. Okay. He's going to do that too. He doesn't need to be on the ball. You need him to like kind of hit his spot up threes. 
he's going to do that as well. This is just like, I'll say offensively, like one of the most scalable star talents in the league. All that's, of the word. that's the word. That's the word. He's scalable. And I don't know if that was, yeah, that's what you want. I mean, ideally you want a guy to just be, well, he's so good. Clearly he's the number one option. We don't have to talk about scalability, but that's like three guys in the whole league. Maybe Ingram is like that next level down where he can do that. Like you said, but he doesn't have to. And that leaves so much breathing room for everybody else as this offense does sort of figure out like what, where we all need to be to like make this work. But so the issue with, for, for me, and I, th- I think most people coming in this season was defensively, how good can, how is New Orleans going to get a stop, right? So like you said, they've been fine, maybe better than that so far. And like, this is with just looking on cleaning the glass right now, opponents are shooting 54 and a half percent on corner threes. They're not like allowing a ton of them. They're just going in. So you can make the argument that the defensive number should be even better and will be. The other thing, one of those teams they played was the Jazz, who were shooting like fifty six percent. The Jazz, we can't, we just can't talk about the Jazz (laughs) because, well, I don't know. But so the other thing is uh, rim protection, right? Because Valanciunas just doesn't get off the floor. He, they were going to struggle there, and Zion doesn't defend the rim despite his athleticism. So opponents are shooting again super early. Like one game could totally flip these, and the Pelicans could have the best rim defense numbers. But opponents aren't getting to the rim a ton. It's a middle-of-the-pack figure. They are shooting almost 66% at the rim, which is kind of expected. But if those attempts aren't super high, like opponents aren't, you know, in the top, you know, they're not getting to the rim at like a top five rate in the league, you can live with that. So like the numbers even early as it is, like auger well for New Orleans being competent defensively, I think. So and if that was the question, like so far your answer is it's going to be okay. And then the offense can just, you know, there will be nights where they just go for 145 points and it doesn't matter what they do defensively. Did I talk you into half a truth here? <laughs> no. It feels like it feels like you want to say you're going to pick them over Miami. It feels like you want I think to. for entertainment purposes, I would love for that to happen. I just can't I can't give up on the on the Sixers after three games and the Heat being I, I'm the Sixers one I get. I'm just I don't know if I'm there with the Heat. This is you know, yeah. Bam Adebayo is just sort of like this anagram for six of thirteen, seven of thirteen from the floor at the and it's just you can't trust him never or five of nine, whatever you want, like whatever joke you mm-hmm. want to make there. I just, yeah. I don't know how their offense levels up this year. Maybe Kyle Lowry is just going to be, he, you know, after that one game where he was terrible, he's looked fine since. So, yeah. uh, but I, I'm that, this is less about Miami and maybe Philly. And it's just more about new Orleans. to me. Right. No, that, that's, that's fair. Uh, so I want to put one on a T for you. Uh, Julius rent truth or trash. Julius Randall is plug and play and no longer a net negative trade asset. That's like two truth or trashes. So I, I would I would love to hear you just be really happy about Julius Randle so far. I am just like, and there are a lot of other things to talk about with the Knicks who have only played two games as we're recording this. I'm going truth here. I've been very impressed. And the number I jotted down here on this was 40. What is the number here? I need to, I thought I had it memorized. 71.4% of his baskets are coming off assists. It's two games. I want to make that clear. It's two games. That is an astronomical increase off of last season at 46.5%. And then the season before when he had, when he won most improved player at 46.2%. And so there's always been like someone, when you look at some of the jumpers he takes, I think you could probably say, oh, I'm actually shocked that the number was that high, that almost half of his baskets were coming off assists. He is someone who can roll. He is someone who can pop. He is someone who can just stand still and, um, you know, hit threes off the catch and he's doing all that. And then he's making quicker decisions 
Which, yeah, they're, you know, he's still going to take some of his jumpers, and there are some lineups where you might even want him to take those looks, but he's just making quicker passes with the ball, like where if, I can't even, I should have tracked this, but like where he's making the second pass, where it's like he's getting the ball and then getting rid of it quickly. I am like, I, I have questions about the Knicks. I have many questions. I don't love the fit with him and Mitchell Robinson, um, but like, my God, like this is someone who I think is proving that he can exist within this larger ecosystem. I think that's one of the biggest questions we had for the Knicks mm-hmm. leading into this year after the whole Donovan Mitchell thing subsided and you knew that it looked like Randall was going to be on this roster. And so that's one. The second truth of is he, I'm not calling him a trade asset. I'm saying, is he not a net negative asset? Do I think you need to give up a first round pick to give up, uh, get off Julius Randall at this moment? No, that's what I'm going to land at. By the trade deadline, if they're looking to move him to lean into development, Maybe you don't even want to move him depending on how well you're playing with Jalen Brunson. And um, if RJ is coming on and Cam Reddish looks like this asset all of a sudden, and you know, having just an Uber deep bench once again, God, I love that Isaiah Hartenstein signing. That was just so, mm-hmm. so freaking genius. I'm not saying they need to move him, but like, this is, this feels like the year or my prediction will be, this is the year where we have, okay, this is the version of Julius Randall that not only should exist, but can sustain. And the, the 2020, 2021 campaign it always should have been viewed as an outlier. And I think it was, but you just bought into the idea that he's more of a self-starter who can anchor an offense than he actually is. Then last year, it's he kind of couldn't get out of that. And were the Knicks built to get him out of that? We don't know with the way they their point guard setup was and some of the injuries they dealt with. Um, now it feels like they're going to find and he's going to find that happy medium. And if he can't, like if, if, if they revert back to too much Julius Randle at one point or he seems to be playing outside, not even outside of the offense, but the offense needs to be dictated around how he is going to play or his stylistic leanings. It becomes a failure on so many levels because, hey, look, we're seeing it now. It can work yeah. like this. And so I'm going, I'm giving a double dose of truth here. So so I think as, as I look at it, I think the two, he's plug and play one and two, he's not a net negative trade asset. They're linked basically because the, so the, the question that I can't sort of get past is what team out there is saying to itself, you know who we really need to get over the top is Julius Randall. Like that's a hard team to find. Right. But it's only because if you're, if you're saying, if you're, if your answer to that is like, there's no team, it's because you're, you're assuming that the version of Julius Randall you're getting is the ball stopping like mid range jumper shooting. The offense has to run through him and therefore there's a ceiling on it that version, right. Which worked great two years ago, not so great last year and sort of isn't around anymore this year. So if this is, if the quick decision version of Julius Randall, that is getting shots created for him, which by the way, shout out Jalen Brunson, like say what you want about the money or the, should they have targeted him, but 15 assists and no turnovers. The money thing is just so misplaced, but even if you didn't like the idea of what the Knicks are spinning, it's just that he's the 15th highest paid, I think point guard or guard in the league. Like, He's, relax that's fine he's like an average starting point guard <laughs> right. I think it's, it's fair to say he's better than that and but he doesn't really need to be for it to be a decent value but so but Brunson is a factor there and I think you might you might in you know charitably to to Randall say that there just haven't been enough playmakers around him in the past and so he's sort of you know he's he wants I think he prefers to play as a hub but like he didn't really have a lot of choice in in the past couple of years I mean, he, he probably still shouldn't have been quite as integral to the offense as he was. But I mean, last year he had choices. He just made yeah. the wrong ones. He, 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 he made the wrong choices. Um, I guess I'm going to say truth, but only based on this version of Randall that has existed for two games. I still think 
there is going to be some reversion. It's not regression to the mean. It's like reversion to the mean where he's just going to be more like the guy that is not a hot commodity for a team. That's just trying to find a guy that's going to, you know, fit truth or trash. Devin Booker will finish in the top three of MVP voting this year. Well, so what's got to happen, right? The Suns have to be super good, uh, which they did There's last year. Five bankable players. And Mike V Hill from the timeline podcast came on uh, when we were doing the Suns look ahead and said, Dan, you're going to like or love Jock Landale. And I'm going to tell you, I remain hyper. I am now hyper intrigued by Jock Landale. It's, Phoenix's propensity just being able to figure out the backup center rotation. It's one year. Oh, look, Dario Saric and they're downsizing. Yeah. And the next is, oh, they have JaVale McGee and Bismack Biombo. And now sure. it's, oh, they have Jock Landau and it just works. Uh, but I'm sorry to interrupt with you. No. But, yeah. So that's the thing is like, I, I guess I, I have no question about Devin Booker having the game to be a top three MVP guy. Like he's just, you know, he adds a little bit every year. He, I think too, like, not even low key, but Chris Paul has not looked like a guy that's going to be able to shoulder the load playmaking wise for the full year or for even the, the number of minutes he played last year. Again, it's early, but like you would hope that the guy you're concerned about breaking down at least starts, you know, looking like he's, he's good. I, I should look know. this up, but it felt like he's, he's missed like a trillion wide open threes this year. And I just have to believe, even though he's never been high volume catch and shoot yeah. guy like that, that's going to stabilize. But he's also a really small point guard that's, thir- I can never remember, 37, 36, whichever it is. It's like way past the expiration date for that player type, even considering guys just play longer now. Um, he's 37, turns 38 in May, but I appreciate You don't remember his age because you won't discriminate against him. I don't discriminate. I'm not an ageist. Yeah. Uh, not at all. So I got to go trash. And I, I hate to say it because I think Booker is a, like a top 10 guy probably. Um but I don't know that the Suns are going to be quite good enough. And I don't know that I guess that's really what it comes down to is, is, is I think he could have a good enough season. I'm just not, and it's bullshit because why do we care? You know, if a guy has an awesome year and it's all the advanced numbers back it up, like, why does it matter? But you tend to have to finish pretty high. The West is tough. There's going to be three guys. I think that, that are, have better seasons than him, I guess is what it comes down to. I'm going with truth in part because I had him third on my preseason. <laughs> so it was pretty stupid to go trash, but a lot of the stuff that you talked about is why, where it's, if there's any sort of pullback from CP three, that increases the value of Devin Booker to the Suns. It cuts uh, both ways though. Like the team is a little worse, but Booker's going to get the, those that will sop up the numbers. potentially. Well, right? well, so they won 64 games last year, a version of the Suns that wins 50 with Devin Booker as by far and away their best player, where it's not a yeah. conversation between CP3. You don't think his MVP case becomes str- I guess he did finish, what was he, fifth or fourth last year? But I think they're going to be good enough in part because, first of all, the chemistry between him and DeAndre Ayton is just there. And DeAndre Ayton's come out, for the most part, like like gangbusters this mm-hmm. season. Um, as, as Cam Johnson gets healthier, um, Mikael Bridges has had his usual dose of just really nice moments. He hit a quick... Quick release three over Kawhi Leonard against the Clippers, and I, of course, swooned because I'm just never yeah. going to give up this idea that Mikel Bridges will become more decisive as a scorer at some point in his career. Um, there And so there's combustibility to them, which I actually think drums up his MVP case because they're so – they go – when I say shallow, I think you look at players on their roster. And it's like, well, campaign, like, oh, he's defending his butt off against the Clippers or Landry Shaman. If he's hitting his threes, uh, Damian Lee's had some good moments, but like you run five deep 
uncertainty at this point. It might be four, depending on what's going on with CP3. And that's going to aid his MVP case. And I think you're going to rely on him more as a playmaker this year. That you're going to continue to get to those lineups where even if he's not the point guard by classification, he's still just your point guard. Like independent of CP3, you're not moving him off the ball as much because you can't afford to. We've seen it a lot through the first three games. The cadence and poise with which he plays at in the half court, um, he really helped fuel that comeback in the fourth quarter when he came in against Dallas in game one of the season. It's not, I'm not trying to scale ahead or extrapolate too far off of a handful of performances, uh, but like this is someone who is feels like an every level scorer right now. There's a little bit more like abruptions the way that he's playing. And then there's also just, oh, the three is going to fall. And he's just, I think he's one of my favorite players to watch in the NBA. I think because some people to me still probably just don't understand how good and valuable he is. And so when I look at the MVP discussion right now, I'm like, okay, realistically, Giannis is just going to be there. And I have Giannis, Giannis winning the award. And I'm not prepared to put anybody after that in front of Booker because there's all the caveats and Philly. It's well, what happens with Embiid and Harden? Do they cannibalize attention for each other? Are their Mavs good enough with Luca? I think a lot of people would put Luca ahead of him. Uh, Steph, is he going to play enough in Golden State this season? Is there going to be too much garbage time in Golden State because they're just absolutely just steamrolling opponents? Are they going to blow enough leads to get him back in the fourth quarter like they did on, right. on Sunday against the Kings? So there are players like finishing the top and plot three of MVP is just ridiculously hard. There's only one player right now prepared to say is going to finish ahead of him though on it. And it's in part because of my belief, not just about Devin Booker, but that the Suns are going to be good enough to keep him sort of at the fore of this discussion. And if it's happening in the backdrop of, okay, they're shallower CP three is not sort of the world beater that he was for most of last year. That helps his MVP case. Yeah, no, I, I would also, I, you know, I would say truth if he continues to average 32, five and three and shoot 53, 52, 95. So yeah, he's right now. He looks pretty good. I, I, I mean, I throw Tatum in there too, as someone that I feel like it's a good one. You know, uh, yeah, it's like it's kind of unfair because it's like let's incredible that Tatum is only nineteen, just incredible, and then say he, they're going to win it over Booker. But I want to do another award uh, too because I really this one's really interesting to me. Truth or trash: Paolo Banquero or Benedict Matherin will win Rookie of the Year. So those two against the field, basically. Um, what do you got? I'm going to say I'm giving too much truth, but I'm going to say the truth because my God, Benedict Matherin and Paolo was my pick. But I just I saw Benedict Mathurin becoming like this trendy pick for rookie of the year, and I kind of I understood the vision. Mm-hmm. But I'm even just watching it right now, and I'm like, oh, and just like his game is just like there's just this thrust to it. There's a suddenness with the way he's able to pull up off the dribble, and he seems very decisive. I'm just gonna say I'm giving up way too many truths for this one. I'm gonna say truth though because I almost feel like it's almost unfair. Like we're basically declaring the rookie of the year race over, which is unfair, but it feels like such an easy decision right now. I'm going to say truth. I'm going to say truth too. Uh, and it's like, it's, it's, we've, we've focused on Matherin. I think just because like you said, you could hear it, you could feel it coming, right? Like I, I will, I'll confess. I didn't watch a lot of Matherin in college. And so I understood the theory of him as really explosive two foot jumper, which is like the type of thing you say about someone when you're trying to say they're kind of limited athletically. Cause it's just like, Oh, specifically he's good when he can load up and go, but he's not like a fluid athlete has the tools to defend. And then it's like, Oh no, no, he, he can do everything. He, he looks like there's some real, not in the shiftiness in the weird scoop and off time cadence stuff, but like kind of a Donovan Mitchell type rookie potential where it's like, Oh, this guy fell a little bit. Matherin obviously didn't fall as far as Mitchell, 
in his draft class. But at the more you see of the guy, the more it's just blatantly obvious that this guy can play now, like right now he's a good player. Um, and he fits perfectly with Halliburton. That's one of my favorite young backcourts in the league. And I just hope they, I mean, first of all, it's probably time for Matherin to start. Sorry, Chris Duarte. Like let's you know. know for Keegan Murray, who I think will be starting after he was, he started the second half for the Kings against the dubs. That's so. the other thing. This is a great rookie class so far. I mean, it's way early, but there's a lot of guys that I think are good right now and are going to get better. And Bancaro, I think to an even greater extent than Matherin is so ready is just so he's, he's the best player on the floor, like a lot. You know, and that's not not like full stop. He's better than Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown or whatever. But there are stretches of every game he's played where he's the best guy on the floor. And he's like in total command, um, cannot be sped up, is huge and just plays. I mean, he's got I don't know what else you'd want to see from him through this early part of the season. So I think it's truth. And I think I mean, those guys might just be one, too. Like right now, I think I think probably they got to be right. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. Uh, let's see if we can get through some quick ones here. Truth or trash, one of Charlotte, Portland, or Washington will finish with a top 10 defense this year. I got to go trash. Like, I mean, first of all, Portland is like bizarro Portland right now because their offense has been bad and defensively they're like top five, I think, or you, I don't have it in front of me. Yeah, they, so, they are. Yeah, so that's ridiculous. That can't sustain. Um, Jeremy Grant has looked really good when I've watched them, though. Like, he makes an actual difference for them. Um, I can't, I just can't get there. Certainly not with Charlotte. Cause I think they're a low key, like really good tanking candidate and Washington. I mean, how good can you be with Monte Morris is not a great defender. Beal has generally not been good. Uh, maybe Denny Avdia just gets it done. Maybe he, <laughs> maybe he defends everybody. I can't, I can't get there though for, I, I gotta go trash on those ones. I would go trash as well. I do think Charlotte with Steve Clifford, they're already sort of gobbling up the low hanging fruit. Uh, don't foul. Uh, so like, like I get it. If you put, I'm looking at the talent on the roster, I'd be fairly surprised. I think Portland might actually have the best chance. And some of like the, the Simons plus bench mob type units have just been like, absolutely. Like you might've, you want more from them on offense, which you've just sort of alluded to, but like, they've been incredible on defense. And so they do, while there's a lot of question marks about their depth, the depth they do have, if it hits is a lot of guys who can play, a bunch of different positions, high energy on defense. So I do think of the three, I'm going to go trash here. I do think of the three, even though they're, and they even skew smaller, yet they've been able to get their rebounds. I think I'm going to say Portland has the best chance of the three. I don't know if you feel differently on that. Man, that would, what a, what a total defiance of preseason expectations, right? Where, I mean, we thought Portland would get better. You know what? I have to agree with you because just personnel wise, I mean, Peyton really, has Peyton played at all? I I don't think he's, so throw him in there with Grant. And then you've got a couple guys that you can fly around and Nurkic is still big, even though he's not as mobile as he's been. I think I like them better. I still don't, I'm still not a big fan of any of those three teams defense. Um, quick fire one. I like this one. Truth or trash. Lori Markin needs to be considered a core player for the jazz. I'm going to go trash because I do believe in what he's doing. It's he's not hitting his threes yet until scoring the hell out of the ball. Um, some of his passes that are whip, like he's whipping, I'm like, what? And I feel like the way that his body is after we're like positioned or the flair he's putting on them, the English, whatever you want to call it. It's he wants you to know that he's making these passes <laughs> when you're watching it. And so I, I don't think that Larry market is going to make an all-star team. So I want to make, I want to make that clear. What I do think though, is this is someone who is really, really good. And if you're the jazz, 
I, I understand what's happening right now is super cool. They're undefeated as we record this. He's only 25, turns 26 in May. Like he's on a contract that could be considered reasonable. You don't view him as part of your future because this is how, if you're going to end up being the 2012, 2013 Nuggets, like that's kind of cool. Like where you trained Melo and you were still sort of good. Mm. It also kind of trapped you in this mediocrity. And then you like, you fell into Nicole Jokic. So it worked out. You need the blue chip cornerstone. And so this is just me sort of saying, this is fantastic, but it's also fantastic for his trade stock. And I think if you're Utah, and this keeps up, and they've just been like one of the best offensive teams in the league. They, you could tell they're catching teams off guard because they're big and long, but they can like space the floor a bunch at the same time. We already mentioned they're shooting like I think 150 percent on corner three pointers at the moment, if I'm not mistaken. I, so I buy into just the energy they're playing with, and I buy into some of the starts that they've gotten, and I'll buy into Larry Markkinen as being this really good NBA player when he's given this type of agency. I'm not calling anybody on this roster, even Walker Kessler, who I think you just view him as one because, all right, he's on a rookie scale. Like he was just a first round pick. Yeah. You're not going to actively look to trade him or Oche Akbaji, who we haven't even seen yet. Maybe you're not even looking to trade Jared Vanderbilt because he's so cheap. And what are teams actually going to give you for him? Um, But it would be in the same vein with Colin Sexton, who I thought had some, has had a bunch of impressive moments already. The way he attacked Nicole Jokic in that first game this season, you don't view these guys as part of your core because that's sort of a main line to mediocrity at that yeah. point. You need to find the guy. And now if you want to talk about, no, we're not going to trade him, but they are going to have these mysterious injuries at midseason, And then we're going to try and find this guy through the draft. I know they have other teams as draft pick draft picks, excuse me, but you're betting on Cleveland, Minnesota to be bad down the line, right. not within the next like two or three years. Yeah, no, that this is your window. I, I think, I mean, Markinen, no, it's trash. He's not a core piece. But what he is, is the reason that this Jazz team will have to make a lot of changes because they're going to be too good to get the pick that you're referring to. Um, Like, he's been, so Markinen proved last year he could be a starter on a really good defense. Granted, he had less to do with the quality of that defense than the two bigger guys that he was playing next to. But he could survive as a small forward, essentially. And he's been 36.4% on high volume from three, He's got a positive defensive box plus minus this year. It's been marginally negative every year of his career, but like not crippling. And that length, like you said, the length just matters. Like it, if you're going to be, you know, limited defensively, I mean, it's cool if you also have a seven foot wingspan, like that's, that's going to make up for a lot. That's going to raise the floor of how bad you're going to be defensively. So I think, I think there's a good argument to be made that like, he's not going to be the reason the jazz eventually are very good again, but he could play a featured role on that team. I think if it doesn't take too long, it might just be like, if we're on the Wimbanyama timeline, then marketing is going to be 30, you know, by the time Wimbanyama is like early prime. But uh, the other thing, like you said, is, I mean, if, if the question earlier was like, what team out there is saying, man, we really need Julius Randall. Like every team could talk itself into like Laurie marketing could really help us whether he starts or not. So as a trade piece, um, that's about as good as you're going to get. Cause that contract's super movable too. truth or trash. Tyrese Halliburton deserves to be mentioned in the same breath on the same level of building block as LaMelo and Edwards, Zion, Cade Cunningham, Scotty Barnes, etc. Oh, you know, I love Halliburton too. I can't, I got to go trash and it's only because, and I, I don't, you could go down the list of the guys you mentioned. I just don't feel like Halliburton has, he's a top five player in the league ceiling. 
like Edwards, I think definitely has like Cade, I think probably has Williamson. Don't know Scotty Barnes. I put him on par with guys like Barnes and ball um, who I think is going to make several all-star teams. will flirt with all NBA, maybe make a couple. Um, I don't see the, he's the best player on a championship team ceiling, which is like, I mean, sorry, there's just not that many guys like that. Right, right, right. Um, but I, I mean, you could see it coming last year. I had his numbers up earlier. I think he's averaging like 26 and 10 with obviously really good shooting splits. Um, and the Pacers have sort of had to convince him to be more aggressive. I think he said he had to learn how to be a bigger asshole on offense and he's doing that. So I'm as high on him as I could be without saying he's going to be like on the level. Edwards is an unfair. I think Edwards has like, he could be the best player in the league potentially in, you know, two, three, four years. I don't quite see that for Halliburton. I think it's fair to say what you said. <laughs> How's that for a take? <laughs> I wouldn't, I'm leaning more towards truth here. Maybe if you're looking at Zion and Ant as sort of, oh, best player alive material, but there's almost like a Cade Cunningham-ness to what he's doing. And there's, mm-hmm. there's, I mentioned this word before, but like there's definitely more abruption to Tyrese Halburn's offense this year. He feels more decisive as a scorer as well. He's hit some ridiculous shots. The stat that blew my mind, again, we're talking about three games. There are 185 plus players. I think it's 186 who have logged at least 20 minutes per game through multiple games. So I'm, I'm getting out the one game sample sizes here and going to two and three. Luka Doncic is the only one who has a smaller share of his baskets coming off assists. So he's at 90.4% unassisted. Tyrese Halpern's at 88.5. And he's maintaining efficiency from the perimeter. 60-plus uh, effective field goal percentage on pull-ups. 10 of 15 from mid-range right now. Making very nice use of the space they're giving him. When you look at him as a passer, even him as being just sort of at his best, maybe a net neutral to above average defender, and depending on how you're going to play, in certain uh, who's going to be alongside you, excuse me. I'm just, I can't rule it out yet. And so, yes, as of right now, I get why you'd take Zion and Ant. And like Kate Cunningham, I would take over Tyrese Albert. I want to make that clear. So the way you framed his best is like, I kind of have him in the Scotty Barnes, maybe Evan Mobley, um, LaMelo Ball tier. If not, like, is he ahead of those guys yeah. right now? As like, you need your building block for the future. And man, he looks so good this year. And uh, if that's what he, if this is just his new, forget the efficiency, which he hasn't finished around the basket great, but he's also had like these wild attacks where he hits a tough floater or he had those two dunks in the opening game. Like that number will go up as well. Like he's not going to shoot. I think it's like 54.5% in the restricted area. That's going to go up. I'm I'm just there with Tyrese Halbert. I felt like there was a question as to, oh, could he be that guy? There's no question to me anymore. I, I got to vamp some more on Halbert because these next two truth or trashes, I don't have strong opinions on. <laughs> I think I just for him. So like the most important skill in, in the NBA is the ability to create good shots for yourself and teammates. And like, just to use a couple comparisons, like LaMelo, obviously about as good as anybody at creating good shots for teammates, but like, he's just not a pull up three point shooter. And so there's just like, that's how you can defend him in a pick and roll. You don't need to worry about him just killing you from deep. If you're not coming over the top or whatever, just thinking playoff series stuff again, Halliburton's a great shooter from everywhere. However, he, they're generated. And there was, I feel like there was a question because his form is kind of funky. It doesn't look like he should be able to get his own threes off. But yeah. He can, and his floaters are great. He's got incredible touch. He's one of the best. I don't know. He's definitely a top 10 passer. He might, he's maybe top five, I think, just how he sees the floor. Um, so 
I think if you're looking for like, I think Barnes is another guy and LaMelo just from this list that they sort of have more questions to answer than Halliburton does, which is right. kind of wild. Cause I think they're both broadly regarded as better prospects, but I, I don't know if that's going to last much longer the way he's playing. Which of the two did you want to take us home with? Oh, let's go. I mean, let's go uh, truth or trash. We owe an apology to the Dallas Mavericks depth slash the overstate, the overstated uh, severity of the Jalen Brunson exit. I'm going to say trash just because I'm not convinced that this is going to be the Christian Wood we see all season and the depth you can run into issues pretty, pretty quickly here. If we're going with Jalen Brunson, did we overstate that exit? I've said for the regular season, maybe I think for the playoffs right now, I, like, I, I think that he would certainly matter with a healthy Luka Doncic there. Uh, that also being said, like if this is sort of Spencer Dinwiddie's new normal, then yes, we owe the, the Mavericks an apology. This is a very just indecisive way of answering it where I'm going to say I'm not sure, but that is a change from what I would have said trash. Like just absolutely not. I'm, I'm going to rule it out. It, this is not just, oh, Luka is doing everything because he is. But, like, Christian Wood has been fantastic. You've gotten huge minutes from Spencer Dinwiddie. The defense so far has remained largely intact from last year. That was a question that I had had there. So we might Oh, I'm already prepared. I owe an apology to the Memphis Grizzlies. That's why I didn't even throw them on here as that one. Uh, I'm prepared to issue my mea culpa to the Dallas Mavericks at some point, though. Yeah, this is it's appropriate to end on a it's way too early because all of these are. But this one especially because, like, the, the way they were going to solve the Brunson uh, absence was – Christian Wood's going to do the scoring and Spencer Dinwiddie is going to kind of be the, that guard that handles the ball and scores and facilitates. So you make it up basically. And so far that's been the case, but I will say one of the, one of the standout moments of the year so far is I'm pretty sure it was Josh green that passed up an open corner three and like drove into trouble and something bad happened to turnover or something. And Christian Wood, as he's walking back, throws his hands up and is just like demonstratively, just felt like, oh, this fucking guy, basically. And I was like, oh, that's <laughs> 25 points a game or whatever it is, but watch out because that's he's, why Christian Wood didn't have a job for a long time. He's <laughs> also been punctual since he arrived in Dallas. Did you hear that? Tim no, McMahon. I, I haven't said, heard about his punctuality. Tim McMahon said on a, and I didn't even know, I knew that he was like kind of laissez faire when it came to this stuff. Um, I guess I didn't hear much about it from Houston, but uh, Tim McMahon noted that he's just been, you know, incurably late his entire career and that since being traded to dallas he's just always been on time it's like hey contract year baby like that's just the mindset congratulations you're on time for work like is that what we're doing now well i'm that's all it's just an extension of show up on time or you're just gonna average 25 points a game and he hasn't even hit his free throws yet really last time i checked he's been there what does he have like 30 something 36 free throws or whatever on the season it was so he's just up there in terms of that, but he hasn't shot them at a great clip. So like there's a, I'm not saying the scoring will go up, but there, he hasn't even been perfect just yet. Um, I, I'm again, I'm prepared to call this a truth. I just, this one is too early for me. Yeah, the other ones I'm so sure of <laughs> write, write those in Sharpie. Yeah. I, I'm so certain. Right. I I'm with you. I agree. This was good though. Or it was it. bad. I guess we'll find out in the, the weeks and months. Truth, to truth come. or trash. This was good. Too early to say. This know. was fun. It was fun. Not too early to say that. <laughs> you want to take us out? I can't remember if I was supposed to do it or you. You look ready. You want me to take us out? You're still you're too nervous to do it. Yeah, take us out because then I want to I want to say my piece to to my to a person I need to apologize to. <laughs> 
Um, that'll do it for us. I'm not going to cut any of that out uh, just no, no. because I don't really feel like it. No. Uh, please remember to subscribe to us wherever you're consuming it. Hit that subscribe button on YouTube. Subscribe, download every episode on your podcast player. Um, shout us out on Twitter. Recommend us to people who you know like Hoops Podcast. Follow us on the socials. Those are in the podcast and YouTube description. Join our Discord. The link to that is in the podcast and YouTube description as well. Until next time, I leave you all with a shout out to the one, the only, Frank Neal Kina. And I would like to offer my sincerest apologies to Jared Allen.